Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Gillar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Thank you everybody for tuning into another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. It's been a long break, but we're finally back. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Our first official episode of 2017. Is this the year where you stop saying yes and you just start really accentuating parts of boring players' names to get your point across? Hey, Shia-san, I believe, is on the top line right now in Calgary. Is that boring to you, Brian? Alex Shia-san is always boring to me. All right, fair enough. Well, this episode hopefully will not be boring. We have so much to talk about. It's been two weeks since our last regular episode. We hope you guys have enjoyed the bonus content that we've been putting out there. But we're back to the regular stuff. We've got two weeks worth of news and action, and we have to roll it all up into one episode. So we're going to do our best. We're going to run through a whole bunch of players. So hopefully you'll be able to keep up before we start. Let's mention that we are presented by DabberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. We're coming to the, you know, we're at the midway point of the season. We're like three quarters of the way through your maybe your fantasy hockey season as we approach the playoffs. So it's time for you to really be stepping it up. Maybe going to Dabber Hockey twice as often to check out their daily ramblings, starting goalies, line combinations, whatever you need, you could find it at DabberHockey.com. And especially for your stretch run, something you might want, I think you're going to want it, Dabber's mid-season fantasy hockey guide, the 2017 edition, is coming out on January 14th. So by the time our next episode is out, you can already have this belonging to you over at DauberHockey.com. It's the 11th edition, the second half projection sleepers. It's just like a start of the year fantasy guide, except it talks about all the stuff that's already happened and projects further for the rest of the year. You can find out more about it over at DauberHockey.com. Yeah, if you're planning on making a trade in your league, why not have Dauber's projections for the players involved in the trade to see if he thinks you'd win the trade? It's like you got an extra person to ask in that guide. Okay, Brian, let's get started. I've got my drink here. Cheers to everyone in the chat room. Thank you for joining us. Let's get going. Injuries. First fantasy hockey headline of the week. We have to, of course, start in Winnipeg. Patrick Laine yesterday was taken out of the game against Buffalo after a big hit by Jake McCabe. Turns out he's got a concussion. I saw this interview with Paul Maurice. He's obviously very sad about it, as he should be, because he said there's no timeline. He has no idea when he'll be back. So that sucks. Concussions, no one knows how long it takes to heal from them. Each one is different. So it might be a while before we see Patrick Laine for Winnipeg, which is too bad. He's been having an amazing season, as we all know. Fantasy impacts here. If you have Laine, that sucks. Stash him. Hopefully he'll be back at least for your fantasy hockey playoffs, maybe sooner. Hang on. I'm interrupting you. Before we go into any other fantasy impacts here when this hit happened of course like i was on twitter and my timeline just blew up with the gif and it was painful to watch and then you know i i clicked through i can't remember why i clicked through to one or two of the tweets and like the first 10 responses to it were all clean hit clean hit clean hit clean hit all these different people just saying clean hit and it's like what's what's the point of even saying that i feel like you know, okay, fine. You you don't want to think that your team's player did something dirty or that something dirty happened to this guy. But the implication is, is that if everyone's playing by the rules, then I don't know that like he somehow 
deserve that. Like it's within the rules of the game to hit somebody that violently and that hard. And the first thing you can think of when that happens is just to like defend the rules of the game. Oh, that was clean. There was nothing wrong with that. I think there was something wrong with that hit, like by the rule book. Okay. And like, actually, you know what? Maybe that's not fair. I feel like there's something wrong with the response to that hit. Like, I feel like the response should have been, how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? Instead of justifying that hit's presence in the game by saying, oh yeah, that was clean. It can happen a hundred more times and it'll still be clean. Bleeding heart over here. This is not that kind of podcast, okay? We might have some new listeners in 2017. Someone finally bought their mom an iPhone. She's listening to her first fancy hockey podcast. We don't want to talk about this, but yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, it sucks that Line is hurt. I'm very sad about it. You were one of the people who commented clean hit, weren't you? No, I don't care. I don't have Line A and I don't have Jake McCabe. So I'm only affected in how I want to talk about this impact for fantasy for our podcast, which I'd love to get to. It You're part like- of the problem. You just want to talk about the fantasy impact. I want to spend the whole episode <laughs> talking about how to get these hits out of the game. So young 18-year-old superstars in the making like Patrick Laine don't get their brains shaken up just for playing the game within their first 45 games of his career. All right, let's, okay, we'll get to that, all right? Okay, I'm dialing it down. Fantasy Impact, go. <laughs> Bonus content after the show for the people who want to stick around. We could, we could put it there. Okay, Patrick Laine was playing on a line with Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers, both who have been amazing. All three of them have been amazing. Now it looks like, according to Paul Maurice, it's going to be Drew Stafford who moves up to play with them. Drew Stafford, a guy who last year had 21 goals, not a bad season this year he's done you know pretty much absolutely nothing but to be fair he's been in the bottom six so it's a huge upgrade for him in the short term I'd be curious to know if you think that it's worth looking at Drew Stafford in the short term it's been Wheeler Little and Perot on the other line and Maurice said nothing's going to change there also if you're curious about the power play last game it was Little Perot Stafford Wheeler and Truba on one of them then Ehlers line a Patan Shifley and Bufflin so apparently Joel Armia is going to take line a spot on that power play but Joel Armia come on at least Drew Stafford is a guy who has scored goals before so I'm curious to know if you think he's worth at least putting on your watch list to see how he'll do playing with two superstars in Shifley and Ehlers. How many times over the last three years has something happened in Winnipeg and then it's like Drew Stafford, here he is. He's showing up on, in that top six. And how many times has he ever been a no doubt fantasy own during that time? I feel like it's happened maybe once. Generally, I mean, you can expect more from top line Drew Stafford than you can from top nine Drew Stafford. However, I don't think you're about to draft a stud in the making. Something interesting to note, you've got Mark Scheifele. Uh, his IPP is way up there right now. He's got a high shooting percentage on his own. He has a high on ice shooting percentage as well. So does Nick Ehlers. And some of this is from playing with Liney, who's been scoring goals in an incredible pace and an incredible shot rate as well. But the point that I'm trying to make is that regression is due for these guys. And now is maybe a perfect excuse for it to kick in with Drew Stafford playing with them instead of lining. Now, Shifley and Ehlers are both still good enough to keep scoring on their own. I just think you need to take a little bit off their current paces to get a sense of what they're going to do in the future. And Drew Stafford, yes, uh, like good for a cycle, I guess. I wouldn't drop anyone huge for him. I wouldn't get overly excited because he's had a lot of these opportunities and has never established himself as a guy who can hang in this situation for very long. But if you're looking to cycle someone in for a depth ad, uh, you could do worse. Yeah, so someone to keep an eye on. But yeah, you make a good point, Brian. Nikolai Ehlers is on fire. He's scored in his last four games. He has 13 points in his last 12 games. So he's on an amazing run. Shifley also rolling nine points in his last nine. 
up to almost a point per game on the season. So like you say, I guess you're saying we should expect them to slow down. You would have said you would have expected them to slow down anyways because of these high shooting percentages, mainly from Line A. But now I guess especially without Line A, you have to expect them to slow down. I'm curious to know where we are at with these guys at this point in the season. And also, you know, in keeper leagues, we've gotten some tweets, or I think we saw a review somewhere saying that we don't talk enough about keepers. So these are two guys, obviously... High impact guys, if you're in a keeper league, we'd expect Ehlers and Shifley to be really great for a long time. Line A as well, but we won't talk about him. Is Ehlers, would you say, like a solid 60-point guy now moving forward and Shifley like a 70-point guy? I think we said those numbers earlier in the season. Where do you see them at this point? I think those pace projections are a touch high for now. Remember, like Alex Barkov is a guy who we wanted to get to 70 this year because of his incredible pace last year. And I mean, Shifley's been close and seems like a guy who can do it. I just don't know if it's going to happen this quickly. Uh, and I'd say the same thing for Ehlers in 60. I, I think he can get there someday. I don't know if now's the time, but within the next couple of years, I think those could become realistic projections. Okay, fair enough. And one more guy on Winnipeg I want to talk about. I don't know if you heard that I mentioned that Jacob Truba has been getting some power play time lately, and he's really been heating up like, and out of nowhere. He has a goal and six assists in his last six games, 20 shots in that span as well. So putting a lot of pucks on net, maybe he even deserves more than just that one goal, brings him to 13 points in 27 games on the season. So that just shows how much of nothing he was doing before that, considering he has these seven points in his last six and only 13 overall. Also, like I said, he's been seeing a big surge of power play time just in the last two games. Is there something to this surge of production for Jacob Truba? Is he a must-add at this point? Or is this just like some fleeting production that we should expect to go away pretty soon? He only had 21 points last season. He's never been an offensive defenseman, despite how badly everybody wanted him to be one when he came into the league. Jacob Truba, he came in with a big pedigree, was an early draft pick, and everyone thought that he was just going to be an all-around type blue liner. No, he's a really solid top four, potentially top pairing defenseman who's not going to break 35 points very often. Even 30 might be asking for a little bit. Like I, I kind of think of Anton Strawman when I think of him. I'm not saying necessarily that their play styles are comparable, but I guess my fantasy expectations from them are. It is interesting that Trub is seeing a higher share of assumes power play time than he ever really has for any sustained amount of time. And like you said, Elon, that's just over the last few games. And when he's playing on the power play, his shot rates are actually higher than they were during his power play time last year. Interestingly enough, his points in this current run, they've all come at even strength. And I'm not seeing anything huge changing at even strength. So right now, I think what he's doing is a higher point rate than I expect him to be able to sustain. But let's look back to those power play units to see if he can keep getting some of these points if he does just sort of transfer them over to coming from the power play instead of even strength. Interestingly, the Jets have been rolling two pretty even units. They had Wheeler and Little on one of them, Ehlers, Liney, and Shifley on the other. So being the guy who gets the QB, one of those is a pretty reasonable spot to have. But now with Liney out, we'll see if maybe they consolidate all those guys into one unit. And if Truba or Bufflin gets tapped to be its quarterback. So either way, I, I don't see much changing for Truba's offensive acumen at even strength. But if his power play roll-in opportunities continue to grow, then perhaps he can sneak in a few more points that way. 
Okay, so you're saying fleeting for Truba's like point per game pace over the last couple of weeks, but maybe keep an eye on if he keeps getting the power play time. Okay, let's go to our next team, our next injury. PK Subban is out two to three weeks. As of January 1st is when the news came out. Upper body injury. I saw some rumblings of a herniated disc. And also it's kind of like cloudy. I've been seeing even like, oh, maybe after those two weeks, they'll reassess and it could be for longer, but hopefully he'll be back within these two weeks, which is now like one week. So maybe one to two weeks from now. It's kind of scary as a Subban owner. I'm sure you drafted him very high, hoping for big things out of Nashville. So far, he has 17 points in 29 games on the season, which is a 48 point pace, which is to me, I guess, kind of a disappointment. You know, a 50 point defenseman is nothing to sneeze at, but maybe people were hoping for more like a 60 point pace out of Subban. But, you know, even scarier is the fact that he might not come back for a while, but hopefully he will. In the meantime, Roman Yosi has been getting the prime top power play time but he was actually getting that before so that's one of the reasons i think why suban's production has been down so i guess before we get into the impact of suban being injured i'd be curious just to get your thoughts on what do you expect from pk suban in terms of when he is healthy should we be lowering our expectations about him since at this point in the season he's more like a 50 point guy and since you know he's not the main power play guy in montreal suban was the man always there on the top unit now that seems to be roman yosi's job so sad that P.K. Subban is merely a 50-point guy at this point. But not to make light of what you said, I, last year, both he and Roman Yosi were in the top 20 in points per 60 by defensemen who played regular minutes last year at even strength. This year, Subban's 30th, and Yosi is all the way down at 60th, and Ryan Ellis and Matias Ekholm are actually wedged in between them. So that's a quite the precipitous fall for Roman Yosi. Uh, but back to Subban, his shot rates are actually a good deal higher than they ever were in Montreal, highest since his sophomore season back in 2010. He clearly has more of a green light to shoot now that he's in Nashville than he did in Montreal. But his even strength on ice shooting percentage has been a good deal down from what it should be. So I expect that to bounce back. And looking at his power play production, I know seven points through 29 games looks off, but it's still good for a smidge short of a 20 power play point pace, which isn't the greatest benchmark to set for someone who's been a really elite power play producer. Like used to be 20, no doubt, with some extra for gravy. And so, yeah, 20 is the low end of what he's been able to do for the last few years, but I still think he can do at least that. And same thing for 50 points. That is a low end of what he's been able to do over the last few years. I still think he can do at least that. I think he's a good buy low candidate. It's just a little weird right now with his injury situation, which is that he's going to be reassessed in two weeks, which could mean anything happens in two weeks. Yeah, I was recently offered a trade of Subban for my Wierenski and Brian Elliott, and I passed on it. One day, I'll find out if I regret it. I was for the couple, and and I passed on it because I'm very worried about Subban's injury, and I already have Latang, and we've talked about how it's very scary owning one of these guys who could get injured and really screw you in the fantasy hockey playoffs, and I just don't know. But hopefully, Subban will just be back, and like you say, will also bounce back a little bit from these uh, low-ish numbers he's been putting up. But okay, with Subban out, I it's always interesting to look at if other defensemen on Nashville are going to be able to step up in his place. I guess Matthias Ekholm is the guy that comes to my mind as the guy that maybe you'd want to look at. He has been on power play one with Yozy lately. So they were running three forwards and two defensemen for a little bit. He has seven points in his last 14, which isn't too bad. He actually has scored a goal today. Curious to know if you have any thoughts on Matthias Ekholm as someone people should look at if he's available in free agency while Subban's out. I guess so. Like I said, he's got a better points per 60 minutes right now than Roman Yosi. Not to say he's a better offensive guy than Roman Yosi, but he is making better use of the time while he's on the ice. Again, I don't know like if he's ahead of Roman Yosi because he's doing well or Yosi's not doing well. Like Yosi's shot rates are also 
at career highs now that Weber isn't around. He has a lower IPP than the last couple of years. I still think all of the Preds are feeling effects of a weird start to the season. Yossi is definitely not doing all that much lately. Just three points in his last 12, getting more shots on goal, but the trade-off is fewer blocks. So it's hard for me to say don't bother with Ekholm when I would definitely say to hang on to Yossi and he's doing less or just as much as Ekholm is doing. I like him. I mean, obviously it depends how deep your league is. And we're going to talk about a few other defensemen who have been interesting lately. So Brian, I'll be asking you as the show goes, as you always love that I do, if you'd rather have Ekholm or this guy. And, and, you know, we'll get to them as we get to them. But let's stay on Nashville for a little bit because these aren't the only injured guys. It's not only PK Subban who's out. James Neal has missed a couple of games and was just put on the IR yesterday with an upper body injury. So you don't know how long he'll be out. Also, Victor Arvidsson is day to day. And this has led to... Kevin Fiala jumping up to the top line with Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson, at least in the last game. Fiala has two points in his last three. It looks like his minutes are up, 16 and a half and 17 and a half minutes in his last two games. Meanwhile, actually, even before Arvidsson was injured, he had been down at 11 to 13 minutes before his injury. He still has 10 points in his last 13 games. So obviously Arvidsson has been doing okay, but worth noting that it seems like his position on the team has fallen. I noticed he was on the third line for a bit while Fiala, even before the Arvidsson injury was up on line one, obviously now Fiala gets a great opportunity with Neil out as well. So curious to know if you think it's worth looking at Fiala in the short term. And also if maybe Arvidsson is a sell high since he's been putting up these points, but it looks like his role might be diminishing. Fiala is like the new Arvidsson. He's playing on that top line. He's getting good power play deployment. He's taking shots. He had an eight-shot game a couple weeks back against Chicago, which is very Arvidsson-like. It's nice to see him taking some advantage of that plum assignment that he's getting after a couple previous runs, including at the start of the year, where he hadn't been able to do that. I don't know if it's going to last. I'm also skeptical that he's actually replaced Arvidsson. I wonder if Arvidsson's demotion down the depth chart and lessening ice time was some kind of preemptive reaction due to injury. I don't know if skeptical was the right word. It's just like a piece that I'm trying to put together because I didn't see anything going wrong with Arvidsson on that top line that would give him reason to be demoted and have his ice time taken away. So we'll see what the lineup looks like with a healthy Arvidsson. I'm not sure that he's done on that first line yet. Okay, but still, something to keep an eye on because I don't think he's going to be able to put up as much production if he gets knocked off that line. And it looks like it has happened, so he's not as sure a thing maybe as he seemed like before. Brian, one more thing on Nashville. A week ago, if we would have done an episode, I would have been bringing up UC Saros and saying, oh man, it is time. People have to add him. Now, he had that shutout against St. Louis. And it, I was thinking, man, he's really becoming a serious threat for Pekka Rene. But since then, Rene has put up two straight really good games. And Saros was added and then dropped in like all of my leagues. He's available again. I'm sure he's available to a lot of the listeners. I wonder if he's still worth keeping an eye on. Rene got the start again today against Chicago. The game is still ongoing. They're about halfway through the game. And Rene's letting two goals on, on 16 shots. He's horrible. Clearly, Saros should be the goalie, right? Yeah, clearly in like at least a year, maybe two. I think for now, the Predators stick with Rene for as long as he can play very well for like two out of every three games. I think he's going to be able to hang on to the job. I used to think, though, that Saros was going to have to go back down to the AHL at some point to get more games in. But I feel like the Preds might not mind this arrangement so much, especially when every game is going to be so important for them, given their current place in the standings. I think Saros is a great guy to spell Rene when he's being inconsistent or needs a rest. And he's definitely a better option than Marek Mazanik, who did get sent down to the AHL back when the Predators were really struggling. I think it was either late November, early December. So yeah, good option. The unfortunate thing for Saros, though, if you were smart enough to pick him up, 
He's still losing games. He stopped 34 of 36 shots, still lost. That's the story of his season so far. Of course, wins is a team stat. He's done everything he can, giving up one goal, two goals, but can't seem to buy wins for some of these amazing performances he's putting in. I'm less anxious about Rene today than I was a week ago. Elon, you had me very, very afraid. He is my goalie in the cup full, and I had some trade offers around him that I was trying to figure out and evaluate. I'm glad I'm hanging on for now. I think him hanging on to that starter's job in Nashville for the last week has gone a long way into keeping him in that role. Hopefully, I don't know, at least another month, which is a ridiculous thing to say. I'd like to say all the way down the stretch, but I'm not sure if as a Rene owner, I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses. I still think he's number one through to the end of the year. I mean, it's the kind of thing where who knows what's going to happen week to week as we go along through the second half of the season. I mean, Rene has shown that he can be good. He's also shown that he could struggle. And I think Nashville clearly does have a really good option if he does struggle. So if I was a Rene owner, you obviously could breathe a little bit easier since he's playing well right now. But, you know, a couple bad games and all of a sudden you're going to be nervous again. Some interesting points here in the chat room. Dave is saying no back-to-backs for the Predators this week. So probably Saros won't even play. So maybe not worth picking up in the short term. And Joseph is saying Rene started playing well now that Saros is pushing him. So maybe there's something to that. We've had some interviews with some smart goalie guys in the past. And actually, by the way, I hope you guys checked out Brian's interview recently with Ian Fleming. It was really great, but he didn't say this. But I've heard people say in the past that you know, some goalies need to be pushed to do really well. Other goalies struggle when they're being pushed. Maybe Rene's one of the former who does really well when there's a good backup there to spell him and also to make him know he better do well or he's going to lose his job. Okay, let's go to LA now for another injury. Tyler Toffoli has been out with a lower body injury since December 20th. I came really close, Brian, to trading John Carlson for him in our brand new Keeper League that we started back when Carlson lost his job to Niskanen for a bit on the top power play. And I was like really stressing out. Thankfully, my common sense prevailed and I didn't make that trade. I would be going crazy right now. I'd be so depressed. I'd I'd have like already quit the podcast and like started a new hobby if I had made that trade. So I'm glad I didn't do that because John Carlson has been great. Tyler Foley was already struggling before he got injured. Anyway, we're talking about LA. So forget about Tyler Foley. I know what people are thinking. Who cares about him? Can you please talk about Andre Kopitar? Seeing so many frustrated Kopitar owners lately, both in our patron-only Facebook group and on Twitter, so many tweets. What do I do with Kopitar? Do I hold on? Should I trade him for this guy? We just got a message on Facebook asking if he should trade Kopitar for Matt Duchesne, who's another struggling player, and we'll actually probably get to him later in the show. But okay, we're now at the 35-game mark for Andre Kopitar, and he has 18 points. That's a 42-point pace. That's a disaster. That's like not even fantasy-relevant numbers in most leagues. This is a guy that got 74 points last year and over a 65 point pace for literally every season of his career and I mean literally he's never had less than a 65 point pace from what I saw okay the bright spot Kopitar has two assists in his last three games woo woo uh but really like is it time to change our expectations on him I know for a while we've been saying he's a 70 point guy he always gets 70 points and you know because he has but at the same time like we're getting we're halfway through the season now last game he was playing with Gabrick and Trevor Lewis And, you know, on the top power play with Carter and Pearson. But, you know, I saw some rumblings in the Facebook group that he might be playing with Jeff Carter and like Carter would move to right wing. But it turned out that was just like power play lines or something that was never going to be happening. That would be great for Andre Kopitar because clearly he needs some help right now. And by the way, Jeff Carter, he would be helped because he has seven points in his last six games and 36 points in 40 games on the season, 127 shots. He's doing great. I'm sure if Kopitar was on his line, he'd be assisting on all these goals that Jeff Carter has been scoring. But okay. Do Kopitar owners have reason to believe he'll bounce back? 
Is there still hope for him? Or is it time to start thinking about dropping him if you're in a shallow league or seeing if you can get anything for him in a deeper league? Like, you know, guys like Kyle Turris and Miko Koivu, they're both available, Brian, in our league that we're competing against each other in. I know that centers are deep, and that's why great guys like these are available. But both of these guys are doing so much better than Andre Kopitar, especially Miko Koivu lately. The Kopitar owner must be fuming and wondering every day if he should make that swap. Wow. Okay, a, a lot to go through there. First off, you started talking about John Carlson. I, I do want to report, I want to give him, Tyson Barry, Tori Krug, and John Klingberg uh, their due. They're all up and running now, so to speak. All of them are putting up points the way we would have expected them to. It's been happening for, well, Klingberg's probably the most recent one to join the party, but over the last couple of weeks, things are looking real good there. So if somehow you're in a shallow league or you're in a league with an owner who doesn't value them appropriately, still thinks they're crummy, I'm in a shallow league where Tori Krug is still a free agent and I already have Barry and Carlson and Giordano and like, I don't know, other underperforming defensemen. Anyway, I'm just saying if these guys are available or somehow gettable for you, uh, now's an okay time to do that. Okay, now to Kopitar. This is longer than the usual start of year Kopitar slump. Like we're used to being uh, September, October, forget those. Not even we can cut him some slack through November, but by December, he's usually up and running not happening. It's January. Where are you, Anze Kopitar? Brutal on-ice shooting percentage would be one way to describe what's happening to him. It's way down at 5%, and that should be higher. The thing is, when you spend your year playing with guys like Dwight King and Trevor Lewis, though, maybe those low shooting percentages while you're on the ice are more likely to happen. And like this is a thing that should always regress, though. Like It should at least be around 7%, and that's a big difference between 5 and 7%. I think one factor that is going underappreciated is I think he might miss Milan Lucic a fair bit. Lucic was good in LA. Say what you will, but he offered more overall than anyone else Kopitar's played regular time with so far this year. As for Kopitar's own game, his shot rates are fine. And I really do think he should do better than this. But it would take some real impressive individual effort to get back up to a 70-point pace, even once things even out. I'm getting to the point where I am concerned that Kopitar isn't going yet, that something still hasn't happened. I still think he is a 70-point player. I don't think anything has gone missing from his game. I'm just a little concerned that he has, well, no one to really play with, even though his individual numbers are still looking all right. So if he got some more players to play with, that would definitely ease my concerns a little more. He doesn't, so I'm wondering if maybe we expect less than a 70-point pace, even when things do get back on track for him, which I still believe they will. And finally, Elon, Jeff Carter, you mentioned not getting the credit he deserves. Everyone's been drooling this year, but Sidney Crosby going nuts to start the season. Then Patrick Liney and Austin Matthews. These guys are all one and two in goal scoring. But guess what? Jeff Carter is tied for second with Liney and Matthews behind Sidney Crosby for goals scored this season. He's on pace for the second 40-goal season of his career and more than 250 shots on goal, which, by the way, is normal for him, so I don't know if I should sound so amazed when I say it. He's totally crushing it on the power play as well. He has seven goals on 21 shots with the man advantage. So it's bound to level out a little bit. But what a season he's having without anyone seemingly noticing. This happens every year with Jeff Carter. 
Yeah, Jeff Carter is good. No problem with Jeff Carter. Okay, but Kopitar, sounds like you're saying, I don't know, I, I don't really get what the takeaway is for Kopitar owners here. Like if, Brian, you don't have Kopitar in any of your leagues, are you planning on trying to make a buy low offer because you think that he could do it again? Like you're saying, oh, if he was playing with better players, he'd, he'd do better. Of course, that would be fantastic, but he's not. I don't see how he's going to put up such a high pace. Maybe he could like put up a 60-point pace moving forward. Even that would be like so great for his owners who are getting absolutely nothing from him. The takeaway is that Anze Kopitar is still a very good player and he's going to get back on track is what I believe, but it might not be all the way up to that 70 point pace that we've become accustomed to. But you wouldn't drop him for Turis or Koivu if you had him, you're saying? Uh, well, I'll explain why not Koivu a little later in the show and probably not Turis either. No, I think I honestly, at this point, I know there's a whole sunken cost fallacy. As somebody who has had Patrice Bergeron for a good portion of this year, and he's a guy who did nothing for so long, and I waited him out. If I had Kopitar, I feel like there's some guys you just don't have a choice. He's one of them. You okay. need to keep him on your roster. I guess that's fair. Bergeron at least plays with good line mates. Uh, it's very frustrating. I, I'm not even a Kopitar owner, and I'm very frustrated. Well, Elon, sorry, before you move on, you asked me if I would try to acquire him and buy low. Thing is, I wouldn't, because like I'm just overly anxious about it, and that's, I think, an irrational feeling. I think somebody who is really thinking completely analytically and could take everything else out of the equation would want to buy low on Kopitar. If you have the stones to do it, then by all means. I mean, Brian, you're the fantasy hockey robot. If you're not going to do it, who, who will? But okay, don't don't show your weaknesses here on the podcast. We're trying to promote ourselves as the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pool. So come on. All right, let's move on though. I, I still want to talk about one more other guy on LA. We should point out Jake Muzzin has been on the top power play with Dowdy and the guys I mentioned before, you know, Kopitar and Jeff Carter, uh, for the past few games now, you remember for a while it was Alec Martinez taking that spot, and it seems like that threat has waned. Muzzin had a power play goal and an assist yesterday versus Minnesota, now has four points in his last four games. He's been dropped in our joint league, Brian. I wonder if it's time to take a look at him if he's rightfully been dropped to FA in your league. Like I say rightfully, because obviously he should have been dropped. He was doing so badly. He still only has 11 points in 40 games on the season. But last year he had 40 points. He's been a really solid fantasy guy for a couple of years now. Maybe now's the time to get back on board. Yeah, if he's on that top power play unit, then it's worth getting back on board. We can forget everything that's happened while he wasn't on that top unit. I think that was a real big reason for why he didn't perform up to a lot of people's expectations he's drafted at the start of years as like a light version of drew doughty who can be relied upon for some shots some blocks and like 35 40 points no problem martinez being in that top power play role certainly hindered him something to watch if he stays up there on that unit yeah, I would grab him. If he's a free agency in your league, like tweet at us and let us know who your defensemen are, who you're holding ahead of him, because I like him because he's on the power play with Jeff Carter. I'm not going to say because he's on the power play with Andre Kopitar, but play with Jeff Carter. That's pretty good. Brian, Philly just scored. Oh, they broke the Bobrovsky shutout. Fantastic. Are you sure? Are you fooled by Dave in the chat? No, I, I refreshed the page. Braden Yes. Shen. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. <laughs> you suck, Bobrovsky. She yes, son. We'll get to him. Okay, let's go to Florida. Everyone on Florida is injured. Uh, you know, end of story. But basically, Barkov is on IR with a lower body injury now, expected to be out two to three weeks. He had really turned the season around after a slow start. He has 22 points in his last 24 games. Barkov has been amazing. But now we are reminded why we're afraid to draft him high in our leagues, because not only does he sometimes start slow like he did this year, but he's yet to play a full season. And the trend continues 
in this, his fourth season, injured again. One of our patrons was able to add him after he was dropped because he was injured. And it was because, I guess, the guy who had him had too many guys who were on IR. Anyways, if Barkov is dropped in your league and you could pick him up and stash him, I'd say definitely add him. Why not? Of course. Uh, then we had another question. If you have, let's say, only one IR spot and you could either have Galchenyuk or Barkov for the rest of the season, who would you prefer? This was a question we got on our Facebook group. and I thought it was a really interesting one. Curious to know wh- where you land on that. I'm going to call it a wash. How's that? If I had to pick one, you know, I think I'd go Galchenyuk, you know, with a totally healthy Montreal. If he's playing with Radulov and Pacioretty, I think that's a wonderful line. And I think they can do great things together. Barkov has a little bit more adversity to work through in Florida. We don't know still when Huberdeau will be back or if they'll all play together, if the team will be healthy enough for them to all play together. So I guess I'll take Galchenyuk for the rest of the year. All right, fair enough. Okay, and like I said, all of Florida's injured. Bjugstad is also out. Griffith, Seth Griffith, someone we were excited about. We were like, oh, he's on the top line with Barkov and Yager. Yeah, he's out too. I keep wanting to drop Jonathan Marcheseau in this league, Brian, where we're against each other because he was on the third line for a little bit, but he keeps hanging in the top six due to all these injuries. And actually now he's on a nice run with five points in his last six. Trocek, by the way, six points in his last six after having done nothing. Yager has nine points in his last nine. Obviously, I'm cherry-picking the number of games played to make these guys sound impressive. But, you know, Jokinen's still not doing much. But there's a lot of Florida guys who maybe we weren't so into before that are doing well again. Yesterday in the shutout versus Boston, they ran the lines Yager, Marcheseau, and Trocek, and then Jokinen. Kinnan, McCann, and Riley Smith, and then Yager, Marcheseau, Smith, and Trocek on the top power play. I'm curious to know how you would rank, or maybe this is annoying to you, but who would you like best of these like available, healthy Florida forwards at this point? Because I think some of them may have been dropped in free agency at this point, but if you have to like look at Marcheseau, or Yager, or Trocek, or Smith, or Jokinen, who's the guy you would want? You know, I thought that team was going to fall apart. As a Yarmur Yager owner, when Barkov got injured, I was so sad and so disappointed that I felt Yager was finally just starting to get going. And I thought with Barkov out, there was no hope that that could happen. But I got to say, I'm pretty impressed by all the points that keep coming from this Panthers squad with arguably their two best offensive players missing. I'd say Vincent Trocek is a guy who, you know, I always say he's not as good as he seemed last year. He's a guy who generates a lot of offense. He's top 20 in the league in individual shot attempts and fares very well in other offense-generating metrics. He's really good at what he does. If you have to have a second-line center come up and fill in for your first line, he's a pretty good guy to have there. So I think I would pick Yager, and then I'd go Trocek, and then I'd go Marcheseau, only because we know what happens to Marcheseau once there is a full top six, he drops out of it. Yeah, that's fair, but doing well for now. So if he was dropped in your league, you could pick him up. I do plan on dropping him at some point in the season. Like at some point, Max Domi's going to come back from the IR and I that was his spot. Like I picked up Marceau and Domi went down. So we'll see what happens. Brian, one more guy on Florida. We got to talk about Aaron Ekblad has only one assist in his last 10 games. 34 shots in that span, but like hardly any points for Aaron Ekblad. That brings him to 11 points in 41 games on the season. So same numbers as Jake Muzzin, actually. But Muzzin is at least producing now. I wonder, is it time to call Aaron Ekblad a snoozer? Like, should people be dropping him? Everyone dropped Muzzin, but why have people still been holding on to Ekblad, as I think a lot of people have? Like, I'm talking, obviously, in a one-year league, and a keeper league. Ekblad has a lot of upside still, but, like, can we give people permission to drop Aaron Ekblad for a hot D-man like Muzzin or, like, Nathan Bulio, who we'll get to in a little bit? There are some exciting defensemen out there right now, and Ekblad is doing nothing. Give these people permission or tell them why they should hang on. Aaron Ekblad, I found some stuff out when researching for the show today that I hope you'll find as fascinating as me. But first, let's go back and run down what people's expectations have always been. Because 
I mean, people expected an offensive breakout from him after his rookie year, in which he really was excellent with 12 goals, 17 assists for 39 points in 81 games. And then he put up very similar numbers to that in his sophomore season without taking a noticeable step forward. Then people expect that offensive breakout to still happen, but now this year, but Brian Campbell's gone and the team is changing around him and there's no reason to really expect it. And it obviously hasn't happened. But then I start expecting it because Ekblad becomes a shot-taking god seemingly overnight. Like nothing he's done in his career at this rate, he's going to match last year's 78-game shots on goal total of 182 shots by his 53rd game. That's the same amount of shots in 25 fewer games yet. Here we stand, a defenseman with three more goals than he has assists. Actually, his scoring line of seven goals, four assists, and 11 points is identical to Dylan Larkin's. So that tells you exactly how things are working for him this season. A defenseman should not have a scoring line that looks that way. One of the reasons his assist totals are so low is that Florida is dead last in the league in team shooting percentage. They are shooting just under 6%, where you want them to be around uh, 7 or 7.5%. That's the middle ground. And Ekblad's on-ice shooting percentage is especially low, even compared to the other Panthers. He and defensive partner Keith Yandel both seeing fewer than 4.5% of all shots taken at even strength turn into goals, while the rest of the Florida defense core is up at about 65 or 7%. So that team shooting percentage is actually being dragged down by what's happening while Ekblad is on the ice. Now, I don't think this is Ekblad's fault, but I do think there is a connection between Ekblad's increased shot rates and the lower on-ice shooting percentage that he's experiencing And this is how I think they might be connected. When I'm looking at shot rates while he's on the ice, from where they're coming on the ice, there are two very hot areas while he's skating. And they come about 10 feet in front of the blue line on either side of the net. Without him on the ice, those hot spots shrink near the blue line, but there's a spot in front of the net in a high danger area between the circles where the shot chart warms up a fair bit. So what this shows me is that, well, Florida is already a team that's taking far fewer shots from the close-in slot than the rest of the league, but that effect is amplified when Ekblad is on the ice. Even though more shots are being taken while he's on the ice, they're being taken further out from the net into lower danger areas, and it doesn't look like the Panthers are doing a great job at getting shot opportunities from places in the slot where you'd expect point shot rebounds to end up. Now, all this said, I don't think this should warrant such crazy low shooting percentage for Ekblad or for him in general while he's on the ice for the whole team, but it may go part of the way towards explaining it. At the end of the day, I still believe in Ekblad as a 40-point defenseman. I don't believe these 11 points are the new normal. Like, this is like Jacob Truba numbers. You asked me about Truba earlier in the show. This is what I expect from Truba. I think Ekblad has a shot of growing into more of a 40-point guy as he matures and runs out his game. For now, I'm not sure he's there. I don't see any signs of that breakout imminent, especially with these struggles, but I think he'll be okay. I think you should hang on. And I need to give a big shout out before I pass it back to you, Elon, to Mika Blake McCurdy and his HockeyViz.com site for those heat maps I just referenced. They're really cool. You can go to any player in the league and see what the shooting heat maps are for his team with him on the ice and without him on the ice. Fun stuff. Yeah, you actually sent me a link to them today, and I thought they were really fun. Even for a dummy like me, I was able to look at them and understand what was going on. Brian, you know, if I wanted a defenseman on Florida who took a lot of shots but didn't score, I would just pick up Michael Matheson. But I guess you're saying Ekblad has more upside. Yeah, 
I guess he does have the power play time, but you know, 40 points from him. I don't know if you could expect that this season. So I am still kind of curious to know if you would say drop him for like a Jake Muzzin who's producing. I get the feeling you're saying no, right? I am saying no. And hopefully your league counts shots on goal because he's really helping you there no matter what's happening in the goals and assists column. Okay, good point, Brian. Before we move on, we still have more injuries. Oh man, we're gonna have to get into hurry up mode in a second. We were only like halfway through. Oh my gosh, but okay. I want to take a minute to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season. There's nothing like being behind the glass for the biggest matchups of the year, especially if you've got some players in your fantasy team in those matchups. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get guaranteed seats you want for great value. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary on where you shop, but SeatGeek, you will always find the lowest available price. Brian, there are some really exciting events coming up. Like if you live in Pittsburgh... You can go watch the outdoor game on February 25th, Philly versus Pittsburgh. It's the 50th anniversary of the 67 expansion. So exciting. You get that for less than 200 bucks on SeatGeek. Also, someone else in the chat room here, Dave mentioned, you can go see the Royal Rumble. You can buy tickets to that on SeatGeek in Texas. Less than $50 or tickets from $50 on SeatGeek. So there's a lot of exciting things there. Check it out. And you know what? If that even still seems like too much to pay, I believe SeatGeek has a special deal for Keeping Carl's listeners. Isn't that right, Brian? You know the answer to that, Elon. Of course, SeatGeek has a special promotion for Keeping Carlson listeners. If you enter the promo code KEEPING before making your first purchase with SeatGeek, you will get a $20 rebate. And with that rebate, if you use it to buy tickets to the Philadelphia-Pittsburgh outdoor game, maybe you can buy yourself a nice scarf to take to the game with you. Again, just download the app, enter the promo code KEEPING, $20 rebate off your first ticket purchase, or you can go to the website, SeatGeek.com. Be a geek, buy a seat at SeatGeek. On fleek. On fleek. Okay, Brian, we still got more injuries to talk about. Let's burn through them. Let's go to Montreal. Brandon Gallagher is out two months with a hand injury. Thanks, Shea Weber. Gallagher was finally doing okay, like at least in terms of shots. He had gotten 21 shots over his last four games. He was finally back with Pacioretty. Like things were starting to look good. I have him Mike a couple teams, so obviously he got injured. Paul Byron is also injured, which sucks for him as he's definitely been taking advantage of all the other injuries that Montreal has endured. And actually, Paul Byron has been putting up his best career numbers ever. He has 23 points in 39 games. So basically, we're left with only three healthy, obvious skater owns in Montreal at this point. Radulov, Pacioretty, and Weber, who all have over a point per game over the past week. So they're all great. But there must be at least someone else on Montreal you would want playing with all these great players. Right now, it's looking like maybe the guy is Phil Dano, at least as a forward. He was on line one with Pacioretty and Radulov and also on the first power play with them for some time. He actually has five points in his last five games. So definitely take a look at Phil Dano. Then got to mention Nathan Bulio on defense somehow has six points. In his last five games, four of those on the power play. Looks like he's been on the first power play with Shea Weber, Pacioretty, Radulov, and then Dano, like I said, or sometimes McCarron. Anyway, it seems like both of these guys are worth looking at for short-term ads, right? Philip Dano and Nathan Bolio. <laughs> Bolio? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> Bolia? You know, with the Habs missing so many players from the lineup, it's amazing that they somehow still scored three or more goals in five of their last six. And you can give credit to Nathan Bolio and Philip Dano for capitalizing on this opportunity. I think Bolu still remains a good option for as long as Markov remains out. And I'm just going to put this out there. I don't believe it's going to happen because Bolu is no ghost bear, but Markov is old and he's injured again. And when he comes back, I wonder if he gets Mark strided the way that when strike came back from injury, he wasn't able to regain his spot on the power play thing is again, Bolu is no ghost bear. I don't think he can necessarily fend off Markov for too long. It's also worth noting Jeff Petrie still putting up points too. 
So we'll see which of those two guys sees better opportunities when Markov returns. Petrie's power play time on ice is down right now while Beaulieu's is up. So yeah, we'll see what effect Markov returning to the lineup has on that. Galchenyuk is skating, by the way. He's hopefully back soon. And then Deno, I guess that Galchenyuk reference was pretty random. But anyway, Philip Deno, you know, while Galchenyuk's out or whoever else is out, I guess any of these guys are capable of picking up the pace for a bit. Dano in particular has seen some rising ice time over the last little while, but I don't see anyone as having particularly high offensive upside. Like I think we're talking Drew Stafford sort of situation. So you're just looking for the usual deployment tip-offs if you're looking at a hab to cycle into your lineup. Yeah, and at least Philip Dano, who, by the way, it's D-A-N-A-U-L-T, as opposed to Marco Dano, D-A-N-O. But anyways, if you're looking up his name, you haven't heard of him until you heard him on this podcast. But yeah, Phil Dano, at least he's been doing something. Like I said, he has five points in his last five games. Stafford's going to be in a good position, hasn't done anything yet. So I'd grab Dano for now. And Radulov and Pacioretty are both like having amazing seasons and are on amazing hot runs right now. So not shabby line mates and also top power play time with them is what Dano's getting. And Nathan Bulio also up with them on the power play as well. So, you know, interesting guys to look at. Uh, one more injury I want to talk about. Martin Hansel injured again. I, I guess we do this so often. So who cares? I mean, not who cares. Like if you had him, maybe you had him. He wasn't doing so well recently. Arizona, just a huge mess. Like no one on the team is over a half point per game over the last month, which is 15 games. That's like below... A 41-point pace for everyone on the team over the last month. OEL has five points in his last eight games, which is okay, I guess. Like, obviously, he's a good guy to own. Aside from that, like, is it time to basically give up on everyone except for Oliver ekman Larson on Arizona? Like, there's Verbata, Goligoski, Stone, and D'Angelo all were defensemen we were interested in at different times. Uh, Reader got on the top line when Max Domi went out. But at least until Max Domi is back, like, is it worth holding on to any of these guys? I know, Brian, you still have Verbata in the cupful, right? As of today, I no longer have Verbata in the cupful. I have held him all season long. You know, the Coyotes are definitely struggling as a team. You have to keep their schedule in mind as they're among some of the busier teams down the stretch and into your fantasy playoffs which bought Verbata some extra time on my team. And he has been having a pretty good year, as I've made a point to bring up through the season. I've been really happy that we started the year and continued, but he's pointless in four games with only five shots, and Arizona is heading into their bye week. So I decided to drop him. Also related, he has gone 17 games without a goal. I'd like to cut him some slack, but uh, that's just not good enough to stay on my roster. I have actually dropped him in three out of four leagues, where I've owned him, including our joint one, Elon. And he is probably the best Coyotes owned to have, aside from a healthy Hansel. The other guys, including all those defensemen, are certainly at least as disposable. Yeah, let's not even spend any more time there. Maybe keep Verbata on your watch list if he's been dropped in your league once. Hansel and Domi are back. Maybe he'll have value again. Like, I'm sure he'll still put up some shots every once in a while. By the way, Hansel might get traded and there's all of that. I don't know, by the way, if you might want to keep Hansel on your watch list just because if he gets traded to a good team, maybe he could end up in a good situation. Something to watch. Brian, let's get away from injuries. On to outjuries. We're way behind schedule. Let's go to Philadelphia. Neuverth is back for the Flyers. He played his first game yesterday, stopped 24-26 shots in a 4-2 Philly win against Tampa Bay. On the other side of the coin, Steve Mason has been absolute garbage lately. 892 save percentage over the last month 903 save percentage now on the season like he had that good run when they had that winning streak but aside from that he's just been pretty terrible so it looks like at the best like another tandem situation for mason to deal with i guess he had a good game today looks like philly lost in overtime against columbus so that's a bummer but mason made 23 saves not too bad and obviously you can't hurt goalies too much for overtime goals against they should really change that side like save percentage in fantasy shouldn't include an overtime goal against like three on three come on it's ridiculous but anyways 
But yeah, like I said, Mason hasn't been good. Now Neuwirth is back. Seems like he's okay. Like he hasn't been having a great season either, but maybe people should have sold high on Mason when they had the chance or maybe not. Do you still think Mason will be really good? Like you're the biggest Mason supporter I know. So I'd love to know what do you think about his status like moving forward for the rest of the season and also if people should be grabbing Neuwirth if he's available in free agency. What do you take away from this Philadelphia goaltending situation? And by the way, on the side note, like Philadelphia can't score anymore. So it's kind of very frustrating to own a Philly goalie right now. Plus the fact that neither of them have been really good. Yeah, I don't know that you can blame it on the offense since they've had some really poor performances. It seems like they're trying to figure things out in Philadelphia right now. Things are not going well. And uh, based on tonight's result, they still have not figured it out. Unfortunately, Mason frittered away what looked to be a really solid standing in that crease battle just before Neuvoth returned, right in time for Neuvoth to return. And now the door is open for him to do something. It's great that Mason had a good start tonight because Neuvoth isn't really having a great season himself. Uh, this is probably a situation where if you need starts and own one of these guys, it might be prudent to go ahead and get the other. Or if you own one of these guys as your third goalie and are trailing in skater stats regularly, you can maybe just drop him and get some more regular help while they're sorting out who the number one goalie is in the Philly crease. It should be Steve Mason. The question is, will it be Steve Mason? I mean, you keep saying it should be Steve Mason. I don't know. He's not doing himself any favors. Uh, we'll see if Neuwirth does well. Anyways, it's the whole old conversation. I'm sure Mason will have a good run and you'll be like, oh, I was right. And I'll be like, Brian, great for you. You did a great job. And then he'll suck again. Like Mason is a very scary guy to own in fantasy, even if he is the starter. Like he's blown up my stats a lot of weeks. And this was another one of them, though I guess he was okay today. Let's go to Tampa. So Kucherov and Palat are back for the Lightning. I guess we talked about this on our Patreon cast, which we released as an episode. So you guys already know about this. So we don't have to talk about them for long. The triplets were playing together for a bit, but it looks like last game they ran Kucherov, Drew in into Mesnikov and then Johnson Palat and Matthew Pekka. Is he related to Michael Pekka, former Ottawa 67? I think so, but you're okay. putting me on the spot. All right, you, you can look it up while I just give this run. Actually, Tampa played today. They lost 6-2 to two to the Penguins, who hadn't played in a long time. So not great. I haven't checked what the lines were there. But it looks like there have been some signs of life from Johnson and Palat, who both have been so disappointing this season. They both had five points in their last six before today. Kucherov, obviously amazing. Nine points in those six games since he's returned. Hedman, seven. So Kucherov and Hedman, for sure. The rest of the Lightning. Still, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like Maybe worth looking at Nemesnikov if you're in a deeper league. He had an assist yesterday. Two assists in his last three games before today. And he scored a goal today, actually. So Nemesnikov is on a bit of a hot streak, which will happen if you're playing with Kucherov. I don't really want to talk about these Tampa forwards anymore or ask you to comment on them. Let's go right to who everyone is thinking about, Andre Vasilevsky. Just like worse than Mason, I guess. Like when Bishop went down, we said that Vasilevsky was a guy you need to add. Even though he had been cold, I still thought... Yeah, you got to add him. Maybe now he'll have a chance to really establish himself. But he's been like so, so bad. He has an 887 save percentage over the last month, has led in four or five goals in each of his last three games. Make that four games where <laughs> since he led in six goals today. So he's just been so brutal. You know, people always say that he has so much value in keeper leagues. He's one of the top keeper league goalies. Like he's never really put up a solid long run in the NHL that I remember. I wonder if it's time that people need to start reassessing. Like, is he for sure the goalie of the future for Tampa Bay? Like, can they really rely on this guy who? just can't get it together like how long of a leash does he have well he gets a pretty reasonable leash he was their first round pick back in 2012 they obviously consider him as a blue chip goaltending prospect and that is what he looks like in his rookie season elon short memory we talked about him on the show when it happened he took over the crease in 2014 2015 it doesn't look as spectacular now it washed out to just a 918 save percentage but there were some masterful performances from him yeah that's the Vasilevsky story sure he has some masterful performances but he has no consistency 
Yeah, that's definitely been an issue for the last two years now. He's still Tampa's future, though. I'm still pretty sure that's happening. He's not the only one who's had issues on Tampa this year. So I think there might be some bigger issues at play. Like Ben Bishop has not been able to put together a good season either. So we'll have to see if something gets fixed in Tampa. It is promising that things are going well with the forwards. But Vasilevsky, I mean, you can cut it any way you like. It's been an awful season. He's down there with Calvin Pickard and Semyon Varlamov as having the worst adjusted Fenwick save percentage in the league. He's behind guys like Brian Elliott, Peter Morazic, Steve Mason, Connor Hellebuck. He's also at the bottom of the pile in low and medium danger save percentage. He's in the middle of the pack for a high danger save percentage, but that's not worth a lot when everything else is going terribly wrong. All this to say, this is just another guy who should have been doing better this year. I still think he should have done better. You've got Kucherov, Druin, and Hedman. They're all spoiling with their performances, and everyone else is leaving us wanting, including Palat and Johnson until fairly recently. We're forgetting to give those guys their due. So actually, I want to give Victor Hedman his due very briefly. There are 27 defensemen in the league who've already played more than 700 even strength minutes. He is one of those three defensemen who are in the top 10 for points per 60 minutes. Elon, can you guess who the others might be? Duncan Keith. I don't know. I just threw a name out there. Uh, <laughs> not Chris Duncan. Letang. He doesn't play a lot. Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson is one. Nick Holden is the other. What? But anyway, Victor Hedman, going back to him, he's second to only Brent Burns in points by a defenseman and same for primary points by a defenseman with a nice gap open between him and third place for primary points by a defenseman. He's getting more power play time this year. Halfway through the year, He's already at two-thirds of last year's total power play time on ice, and he's already surpassed his career-high power play point total. 18 power play points already. His previous high was 14. He is playing like an elite point-producing blue liner. Good for Victor Hedman. Yeah, I'm getting deja vu. I'm pretty sure we talked about this exact thing last episode, but sure, let's say it again. (laughs) Hedman, still great. We were talking about Vasilevsky, though. Brian, really quickly, if you had to pick right now Vasilevsky or Steve Mason for the rest of the season, you could make the swap right now if you had one of them. Would you do it? I would do it for Steve Mason. I would do whatever it is to get Steve Mason in my lineup for Andre Vasilevsky because I think the door is more open for Ben Bishop to come in and steal starts than it is for Michael Neuwirth. I also think that Mason is more better than Neuwirth when you look at Vasilevsky compared to Bishop, if that makes any sense. And Ian Fleming in the bonus episode, he said that Ben Bishop is likely Tampa's best option for the rest of the year. And uh, the way Vasilevsky's playing, it's hard to disagree. Yeah, I mean, Bishop wasn't doing that great either. So it's going to be a fun year if you're a Tampa fan. And I mean that sarcastically. Okay, next, Audrey Latang back for Pittsburgh. Played like last Saturday and had two assists after being out for a while. They didn't play all the way. There was one of these bye weeks, which was really frustrating as a guy who owned Latang and I decided to keep him stashed and whatever. Anyways, he played today. Uh, he's good. Let's not even talk about him. Justin Schultz, that's the guy that a lot of people were wondering about what would happen to him once Latang was back. He's been insane. He has 18 points over his last 15 games. That's before today. He had an assist today, make that 19 points in his last 16 games. Plus, he was on the top power play today. So, Horkfist has been bumped. And it was Malkin and Crosby and Kessel and then Latang and Justin Schultz. So if he stays there, obviously you got to hold on. If you picked him up back when he was a free agent, like a couple months ago, you killed it. He's amazing. Yeah, he was amazing then. And I've been wrong about Schultz already this season. So I'm a little afraid to look further ahead. Although I did like him at the outset, if you might remember, someone who's ready to be the next best offensive guy behind Latang, then disbelieved in him as he started his current run. But the question is, what's the next best offensive guy behind Latang worth in terms of offensive reduction? Last year, 
The next highest point total amongst defensemen in Pittsburgh was Trevor Daly's 22 points. The year before, it was Paul Martin's 20 points. Now, Justin Schultz has more offensive upside than either of those guys do, and he was brought in as a guy who could help move the puck after Pittsburgh's defense was exposed and in shambles to start the season last year. So maybe he can buck that trend and be a 35-point guy. It all depends on the opportunity he gets. Maybe 40 if Latang, which is totally within reason, misses more time. I don't know. I own Schultz and Latang in a league. I own them both. I might hold on to Schultz for another game or two, but I'm going to be watching his deployment very carefully, and I'm likely to let him go if I have an even somewhat better option. You're crazy, Brian. You can't really? let some, Yeah, like I just said that he's been on the top. He was on the top power play today. He got another point. Like he literally has over point okay. per game for the past month. So I said, I just said, it depends on opportunity. So if he's still on that top power play unit, I'm not going to drop him. If he's off it, I just don't know that he can keep producing at such an amazing rate. It's such a fantasy relevant rate, just getting even strength minutes. Yeah. All right, Brian, let me give you a little tip. This is the league where you're against me, so I shouldn't be doing this. But just for you, maybe try to trade him, try to sell high, aside from dropping him after two games, if even if he loses his role. Like, you don't just drop someone who's doing so well. That Like, it's insane. you got to try to make a trade. Anyway, okay, we got to move on. Another outjury. Marion Hosa is back for Chicago, so they're healthy now. Taves is back. Hosa's back. And what's the result? I don't know. I, I guess it's pretty good, right, for those guys. Like, Hosa was back on the top line with Taves, though the third piece has been shuffled with Hinnestroza and Hartman both getting a turn. It looks like it was Hinnestroza today. Nothing for any of them so far. Taves has been good since those two games that Hosa's been back, not counting today. Like, he has two points in those two games. Hosa had an assist in the last game. So I assume there's not much new to say about these guys that we haven't already said. Gotta go over to line two. Panarin, Kane, and Nisimov still rolling. Panarin, you know, it's been so long since we did our last episode. Since then, he got that contract extension, and he's still doing well. He's up to 40 points in 42 games. Kane with 41. So Panarin and Kane, just both elite, elite guys. Good for Chicago to lock up Artemi Panarin. We got an interesting question on our patron-only Facebook group from Cameron. Cameron, who you might remember, was on the podcast for a bonus episode recently. He asked, Panarin versus Gojo in a keeper league. And that was like a head-scratcher for me. Like, my first instinct was to say Gojo. And, oh, I'm realizing now I'm saying it wrong. Goudreau. Like, my first instinct was, you got to say Goudreau, right? He's a, you know, maybe a first-round pick. He had 75 points last year. But, like, so did Panarin. And Panarin has this great line mate. And Panarin just keeps on rolling, not to say anything bad about Goudreau, but I kind of feel like I've got to say hashtag Team Panarin at this point. I'm not going to go hashtag Team Panarin. I know he's the originator of hashtag Team for you, and so you might have a sentimental attachment there. But I, as a robot, would prefer Johnny Goudreau. The nice thing about Panarin, and I should give him credit for this, at this point, he sure seems to have erased all those question marks about whether he can only produce because of Patrick Kane. And he and Goudreau are actually close in every way across the board. But I will take Johnny Hockey, who is generally a smidge ahead in even strength metrics and also is two years younger. So that's helpful in the Keeper League. You can count on 70 plus from both. And 75 points is also a thing they could each do. I don't know that one is more likely to do it than the other. I guess I just said I would expect Goudreau to have a bit of a better shot of doing it. But yeah, they're both good. I prefer Goudreau. And before we move on from Chicago, Elon, you mentioned Hinostroza. Not a bad option for depth ad, if you want. I've actually had him as a backup bid in the cupful a few times. Uh, three or more shots on goal in five of his last seven, and he's put up a couple points in that stretch, although uh, literally a couple points. So you're just getting some shots for sure if you need to catch up there. And then there's a chance at some points for as long as he's playing with Hosen and Taves. Yeah, okay. Not a bad guy to add. Obviously, I would want 
Phil Dano or Drew Stafford over him. And I say, obviously, maybe it shouldn't be obviously, but I would just because I, I like their line mates better. But sure, another guy that we could add to the list of people in good situations at the moment. Brian, one more out, Drew, I want to mention. Justin Falk back for Carolina. No points in two games, but seven shots on goal. And actually, Carolina played today. How did Justin Falk do? Not very well. No goals, no assists, two shots. So he's a frustrating guy because he gets injured and also frustrating because sometimes he goes on cold streaks. But, you know, before he got injured, he was scoring a lot of goals and finally woke up. So hopefully that'll happen again in time for the fantasy hockey playoffs, which, Brian, you mentioned during the patron cast. Carolina plays a lot of games. Hopefully Justin Falk will be healthy and producing during those games. I also wanted to mention on Carolina that they claim Ty Ratty from the Blues. And normally this is not a fantasy relevant guy who I would even bring up on the podcast, but he went straight to the top line with Victor Rask and Jeff Skinner. So I guess he bumped Ryan, who's someone we brought up a couple of times. Anyways, Ratty had three shots on goal and an assist in Carolina's last game versus St. Louis before today. I don't know if, if there's any value there, but throw him on the list of players who are now on the top line who you probably haven't heard of before you heard this episode. Yeah, or like before the start of the season, how many people can name the top six players in Carolina? Like listeners to our podcast certainly can, but I challenge anyone who doesn't so nobody who's listening to try and name if you listen try and name nine forwards on Carolina and see how that goes uh Justin Falk you mentioned he's back great uh he's still taking shots and his shots aren't going in and nobody else's shots are going in while he's on the ice and that is the ballad of Justin Falk uh Ty Ratty second round pick of the Blues back in 2011 32nd overall he's 23 years old had upside. Everyone was surprised that the Blues gave up on him with seemingly no pretense to it. Uh, he hadn't done a whole lot in his pro career to date, though. Four goals, four assists for eight points and 28 shots in 26 career games with St. Louis. Now we'll find out if he can be a top six or top nine forward. I think Carolina getting him could, could be good news for Victor Rask and Jeff Skinner. They were clicking for a while with Derek Ryan, but we'll see if Ty Ratty can offer the same or better value as a line mate than Derek Ryan did. And I think Ratty's fantasy value is probably similar to Derek Ryan's. It's good if he's on a run with those guys and it's at zero if he isn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say good. I would say marginally potentially okay <laughs> if he stays on that line. But okay, let's now go away from injuries and outries. So next fantasy hockey headline of the week, goalie talk, even though we've already done some, but some more. Yaroslav Halak was waived by the Islanders and not claimed, sent to the minors. So we've had Pavlik at the start of the year and now Halak, two goalies we thought would potentially be starters or at least challenge for being starters in the minors right now. Is there any reason for Halak owners to hold on? Like, I assume if he wasn't claimed, that means there isn't a team that's going to be likely to trade for him. Maybe like Islanders could take some salary or something. I know that's something that happens, but I'd imagine, you know, if a team wanted him as a starting goalie, maybe they would have claimed him. I'd be curious. So let, let me know at the end here if you think Halak is someone that should not be a free agent at this point in any league. Thomas Grice now becomes the league's newest number one goalie, like you said on the last uh, interview podcast. I'd be curious on what tier you put him in approximately in terms of your famous Brian Schmorgoliesborg goalie tiers. He's quietly having a great season. 927 save percentage in 17 games. Nine wins also in 17 games, which means he's won more than half of his games, which is very impressive for the New York Islanders who don't win very much. So Thomas Grace, pretty good. And now he's lost a lot of his competition. Yeah, a lot of his competition. They waived Yaroslav Halak to bring in the guy who they spent a roster spot on all season, Jeff Berube, so that he can dress on a nightly basis. So to answer your first question, Halak's value, same as Andre Pavlik's, maybe towards the deadline when there's less salary on the line, he somehow gets moved to another team. I don't know that's going to happen, though. If you own Halak, uh, you're best to drop him unless you have a special way to stash him because he's in the minors. Thomas Grace uh, looks to be a good goalie on a bad team, which would put him in my tier four. Mind you, if we revisit 
my tier four from this year's more goalies board. We'll see a lot of goalies who can no longer uh, quite be considered as good goalies on bad teams. We have bad goalies like Brian Elliott and Semyon Varlamov and goalies who have turned out to be good goalies on good teams this year in Cam Talbot, Freddie Anderson, and Craig Anderson. Although you could argue that the Sens might only be a good team because of Craig Anderson and Edmonton to some extent has leaned on Cam Talbot as well. I'd say Grice is still about in line with another tier four goalie like Robin Lehner. I would put his values similar to his at the moment. Hmm. I mean, maybe they're in the same tier. I'd rather Grice over Lehner. I feel like Grice maybe has more upside. Like maybe the Islanders. I don't know. Maybe I'm still holding on to previous seasons where I thought the Islanders were a good team. I think maybe, like maybe you might prefer Lehner, but different tier. No. Okay. Same tier. I'm just saying I prefer Grice overall. Also, he has a better save percentage and also Leonard is always an injury risk. But no, I agree. I'm not disagreeing with you. Just an interesting thing you said. I'm pontificating on it. That's what people do when they listen to this podcast, I assume. They pause all the time and they wonder, oh, that was an interesting thing Brian said. What do I think about that? And then they talk back to their phone and they wish that you could talk back. You know, if you were a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could talk back. You could write in our patron-only Facebook group, but I'll get to that later. You can also tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Brian, okay, more goalie talk. I was going to bring up John Gibson, but we're really running low on time. But I'll just say quickly, seems like he's starting to come into his own as the duck starter. At some point, it seemed like he and Bernier were going to be trading starts. And it was maybe at best like a 1A, 1B situation. But at this point, Gibson has started seven in a row and he's playing today. How's he doing today? Anaheim's winning one nothing in the second period. So he's having another good game so far. No jinxes, hopefully. Anyway, what to say about him? He's been good. So I would say Bernier is no longer a threat at this point to steal significant starts. Like Gibson would really have to struggle. He definitely hasn't been the same since that eight goals against game against Calgary that started the plummet of Michael Cupful team and apparently Bernier's season. So I'd say good for John Gibson, bad for Jonathan Bernier. I don't know if you want to say anything about that situation. I think uh, I think you've got it. Bernier has not been playing well. I'd still expect some wonky outings from Gibson, but think it's all going to wash out to about league average. So it's nice that he has emerged as the number one there. It's uh, been a while since we've had this kind of clarity in Anaheim's goaltending situation. Uh, just keep in mind, if you own Gibson and you're in a head-to-head league, not to stress you out, Elon, but he's still a bit of a dangerous guy to own because I said his save percentage will average out to league average, but that means there still could be some wonky starts along the way. So if that happens in the wrong week, good luck to you. And I'm sorry about that. Uh, Well, I mean, I think right now he's still below league average for his overall season save percentage. So maybe that means good things for me moving forward. But hey, he had a shutout against Detroit last week. Also a 51 save performance against Philly. So he's hot now. Don't rain on my parade, Brian. But yeah, Gibson definitely hasn't like jumped up a tier or anything, but it's nice to know that at least you can rely on him to get starts for Anaheim and he's not going to lose his job to Jonathan Bernier. One more part of goalie talk, Brian Elliott finally had a bad game after winning five in a row. It was a really bad game. He led in four goals on 13 shots versus Vancouver on Friday. Such a brutal start for fantasy owners because you didn't even get saves. You only got nine saves in that game. Usually that means that your goalie got pulled or he got injured, but no, it was just Vancouver is a bad team, but somehow they were able to beat Brian Elliott four times. So really bad for him. And that opened the door for Johnson to get a start. I'm sure he was going to get it anyways because they played the next night again against Vancouver. And then Chad Johnson finally had a good game. And they got the win against Vancouver. So has Elliot done enough, like before that, that he had already earned his job back? And Johnson's the backup. Are we back now with a bad game by Elliot and a good game by Johnson? Are we back to a tandem? And we have no idea what's going to happen moving forward for Calgary. It was such a pathetic performance for Brian Elliott versus Vancouver. Everyone was saying he's proving himself against the league's weakest teams. And then he failed to continue doing that. I know you were convinced he'd done enough at that point to earn the job back. You were ready to drop Chad Johnson so quickly. But today, you dropped Brian Elliott. So this just stays 
as a situation to continue monitoring. I could see the pendulum swinging back and forth between the two a few more times through the year. The curiosity for me, like I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that these guys are going to be in a bit of a tug of war for starts the rest of the way. I just want to know what's going to happen next year for Calgary. These guys are both on one-year contracts. Yeah, and Calgary has a lot of upside, apparently. They have a lot of players who are scoring. I'll get to them in a second. But yeah, it's like you need a goalie to keep up with all of these great players. Hopefully they'll figure something out. Dave in the chat room is saying, Elliot has been exposed for the sham that he is. I know why you're saying that, Dave, because I just dropped him in the couple, like Brian said. I had to drop someone from my team because Latang and Hosa both came back. And I, I chose Elliot. Hopefully it wasn't a mistake. But I know Dave is trying to bring his fab bids down for tomorrow. So we'll see if that works. But okay, Brian, like I'm saying, Calgary has been so good, at least offensively, and you have to give the credit to this line of Backlund, Froelich, and Kachuk. They're all on fire right now. Backlund has 11 points in his last seven games, Kachuk 13 in his last 12, and Froelich 9 in his last seven. So they're all over a point per game over the last week or two or even three for some of them. Are all of these guys, Backlund, Kachuk, and Froelich, must-ads in deepish leagues at this point? Like, I feel like they should at least be at the top of people's free agent lists. I'd be curious to know how you rank them and like what you think their upsides are. Are they must-ads? Yes, they're must-ads. Are they must-keep for the rest of the season? Not so sure. Let's start with Backlund. The difference we're seeing with Backlund this year, the positive difference, is in his power play deployment. He's getting more time on the power play than he ever has before, and things are going really well for him there. He has nine points already with the man advantage, which was his 82-game total last year in power play points, and just two points off his career high of 11 He has also been through long, cold stretches in his career and this season. He was very cold through November, which is sort of just the kind of player he's been. Like, he's had runs like this before. Well, maybe not quite like this, but he's had good runs where he's been fantasy relevant. One reason to think maybe it's going to be for real this time, his line mates are better. Froelich and Kachuk are wonderful. He's played a lot with Froelich over the last few years, but the other piece rotated. Last year specifically, he spent most of his time with David Jones and Lance Boma. So I think Froelich and Kachuk offer more than what those two did and the chemistry is going between them and they're all great ads for now i'm not ready to christen any of them 55 plus point guys though i i think it's good stuff from them all around but i need to see more from them than this i would still put them at a 50 point pace the rest of the way if i had to rank them i don't know it's hard you know we've talked about kachuk the most prior to this streak so I guess he's an exciting guy to have. I'd probably go Backlund, Kachuk, Freelik, but I think it's really close between the three. And if you're trying to pick one, just see if any one of them offers peripherals that are more preferential to your league scoring format or to your team needs. And I guess you're putting these guys over like the Phil Danos or the Staffords that might be available in free agency. If people are looking for short-term ads, like these guys are really on fire. Yeah, these guys are already there. So you might as well grab them until they cool down. Okay, fair. And then we got Gojo and Monahan back together yesterday after spending some time apart. And the third wheel on that line was none other than Alex Shiasan, the guy who I started the episode yelling his name. So he scored a goal also, assisted by these studs, Gojo and Monahan. But I know you're going to say that people shouldn't be thinking of adding Shiasan, right? Like, it's another player that's available in your free agency that's currently on his team's top lines. You could add him to the list, but I know you hate him and you think he's boring. But I will say that Christopher Stieg, who was an exciting guy for a while, he gets bumped to the bottom six because of these shakeups. Maybe he'll still get the power play time, though, but obviously he becomes less exciting. Yeah, Versteeg becomes less exciting. And it's at this moment that I realize I think I dropped Redim Verbata and still had Christopher Stieg in my lineup. Maybe that was a mistake. Uh, Shison bores me. 
Yes, and that comes from watching him for several years since the Spezza trade that brought him to Ottawa. He's not quite Yori Latera boring, but he's pretty close to it. And I imagine he gets cycled off the first line at some point too. Uh, you know, he'll get a point here and there, but it seems to me, at least from his time in Ottawa, plays often died when the puck touched his stick and it was just like an average play was about to happen that was going to end in like a boring whistle or something. So basically you're saying we can't trust anything you say about Alex Chiasson because you're biased against him. So good to know. TJ Brody is the other guy I wanted to mention. I've been kind of bringing him up every week just because he's still getting the majority of power play time for Calgary. He actually has six points in his last seven games, four shots on goal and zero blocks on Friday, and then zero shots on goal and four blocks yesterday. So he gives you one or the other. I dropped Clefbaum for him, Brian, in the league where we're against each other in. I'm curious to know if you think that's a mistake. I like a top power play guy, though. Clefbaum has actually been getting some time there, but Secker is back. Anyways, I don't care about that. Just give us quickly an update on Brody. Do you like him now? Is he a guy you could add short term while he's on that top power play? Sure. As long as he's on that top power play, that's a thing that we do. Uh, You should also be aware that Giordano and Hamilton haven't gone silent exactly, though. They're doing well. Giordano with four power play points in his last four games, which actually comprises 40% of his total power play production for the entire year. And Hamilton has a semi-regular power play point as well over the last while. So it's not like Brody's blowing any of these guys out of the water. I feel like it's just working for him. I don't know why he's there. But yeah, as long as he is, uh, why not? Yeah, I mean, he's getting points and he's playing with these great players like Joe Monahan. So why not? Okay, exactly. Let's go to the next team with a super hot line. We have to go to Minnesota. They don't. They have like a super hot two lines. Like Koivu, Granlin, Parise, Stahl, Coyle have all been on fire. I bring them up every week. Last game, Coyle was actually on line three with Hala and Pominville, which is concerning because he's been having such a great season. Still scored a goal, of course. And it's still amazing. I feel like I just every week just bring up another Minnesota guy that I want to put the spotlight on just because we might as well get your thoughts. Let's focus on Miko Koivu this week. He had a goal and an assist yesterday two goals the game before that they're playing today i don't think he has anything yet but we're in the middle of the game against anaheim anyways koivu before today up to 14 points in his last 11 games which is insane i brought him up a few weeks ago right when the streak was starting and you didn't seem to be too excited about him have you had a change of heart about that or do you think this hot streak is fleeting like i'm not saying i think he's a point per game guy but can we rely on him to maybe be a 60 point guy for the rest of the season like he's playing with granlin and zucker right now and seeing around 50 percent of the power play time they have two even units just like winnipeg has been rolling so koivu like he's been fantastic and he's on like a couple teams let me know if i've been smart to hold on to him while i drop brian elliott he's been a point per game guy i think you're smart to hold on to him while this is happening He's been doing this for 21 games now, 21 points, 10 goals and 11 assists over his last 21 games. What's leading to that? Well, the Wild lead the league in shooting percentage over the last month with a shooting success rate above 12%. Again, a more normal team shooting rate would be somewhere between 7 and 8%, uh, maybe a little higher if things are going well. 12% is quite high, though. If Even if you look a month earlier, you'll find 10-game rolling averages for Minnesota that were nearly one-third of that. They were shooting like 4.5% for a little while. But a rising tide raises all ships, including Koivu's, including all these Minnesota guys. That's not all that's happening, though. Their expected goals for per 60 is also up. Their Corsi 4 per 60, their shot attempts that they're putting on net per 60 minutes, actually not at the highest point of the season. So I think they've actually made some minor adjustments to help the team scoring. And that's what's pushed up the expected goals for per 60, but it shouldn't have helped as much as it's helping. So while Koivu has been wonderful, I don't expect him to continue being a point per game guy. I would still have him somewhere around 55. And even that might be a little generous. I mean, 55 wouldn't be that bad considering I picked him up as a free agent. If you're saying that's generous, then I guess we'll wait and see. 
Let's go to another team that has a bunch of players on hot streaks right now. It's hot streak week on Keeping Carlson. We got to go to Toronto. Austin Matthews. Holy cow. He's been amazing. 16 points in 14 games over the past month. 35 points now in 39 games on the season. Like, could he get to 80 points this year? He's trending that way. He's been over point per game recently, getting back to point per game on the season after, of course, that amazing four goal game to start the year. Then you've got Mitch Marner and JVR close behind over the last month with 13 points in 14 games. Like I said, Austin Matthews has 16 points over this stretch. Jake Gardner actually has 12. I dropped him in the cuckoo. I'll stop saying all of my mistakes, but I regret that as well. Nylander with 10. Sorry, Nylander with 10. Bozak and Kadri each have five points in their last six games. So, so much fantasy value in Toronto, but probably all of these guys that I've mentioned are guys that are not available to you in free agency in your league. But there are a couple of guys that you might have available to you who have been very good lately. And those are Connor Brown and Zach Hyman. Both have six points in their last six games. And that makes sense considering they've been on line one with Austin Matthews. Hyman is even getting power play time with Matthews and Nylander. So Brian, can you give like a quick summary of who these guys are and whether they're worth adding right now while they're rolling with Austin Matthews? Okay, well, first off, a reminder, you dropped Jake Gardner because he was off the top power play at the time and you loved Nikita Zaitsev and thought he was going to run with the whole thing, unless right. I'm just mistaking that for another time in the season. I, I dropped him just because I was trying to game like the number of games I'd get in my matchup and like I'd picked him up recently as a free agent and then there was like three days in a row where Toronto wasn't playing. So I thought, oh, I'll drop him, get a couple of games, then maybe pick him back up. Thinking of him as a cycle guy, now I'm realizing that was a big mistake. I could have had, just had him for the rest of the season. So I blew it because he's clearly the top power play guy on Toronto. I'll get to you in a second whose expense that comes at. But Brian, let's get back to Brown and Hyman. Okay, Connor Brown, his ice time has been rising steadily and he's been doing very well. Who is this guy? He was a sixth round pick, 156 overall back in 2011 of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's actually a Toronto native, 24 years old, and he led the OHL in scoring in his last year with the Erie Otters. And while he was there, he was playing on the same line as another Connor you might know. That's right, Connor McDavid. The two of them played together, maybe picked up a couple tips. Anyway, Connor Brown, even after leaving Connor McDavid behind in Erie, he went on to Toronto to play for the Marlies in the AHL, had 90 points in 110 AHL games before being called up at the end of the last year and impressing in that cup of coffee with a goal, five assists for six points in seven games. Zach Hyman, not such a different story. He was also a later draft pick, picked in the fifth round, also 24 years old, also from Toronto, just picked a year earlier by the Panthers, but he has ended up with the Leafs. He played for the University of Michigan, so he also came up a bit of a different route. He also impressed in a late call-up last year. Remember, the Leafs were tanking last year to get Austin Matthews. There was like nobody left on the team, and they had nothing left to play for. In fact, you might argue that they had everything to not play for, but there were a couple guys like Brown and Hyman who came in, did their job very well, looked like NHLers, and here they are doing well and still looking like NHLers in very good situations. And it's interesting that Connor Brown is now getting to ride shotgun with Austin Matthews. Uh, this is an unfamiliar territory for him riding shotgun with a potentially generational talent as he did with McDavid in junior. Yeah, so just add these guys, Brown and Hyman, to the list of potential free agents who are on their team's top lines. I like them a lot. Like, who did you have at the top of the list so far? Let me just scroll back up here. I already mentioned Hinnestroza and Ty Ratty. <laughs> and I guess it seems like these guys you like better than sort of the, I guess, Stafford and and Phil Dano over in Montreal? 
Yeah, I do, except they're about to start their bye week. So they're off for the next, I think it's five days. So you might not need to rush to add them unless you're in a really comfy place in your standings in a very deep league, in which case, uh, I guess you can go ahead. Yeah, and so like I said, the one guy who has not been producing at all on Toronto is Morgan Riley. He has 17 points in 39 games on the season, only one assist in his last six games, hardly any power play time. It always happens where we wonder, like, why doesn't Morgan Riley get more power play time? But now, like, Jake Gardner's clearly getting that time. I don't think Riley's getting it back. I wonder if we're at snoozer territory for Morgan Riley. Like, if a guy like Nikita Zaitsev is a free agent in your league, I see them both as being pretty similar at this point. Yeah, as long as Gardner's playing on the first power play unit, then Riley can be forgettable. I mean, what he's doing without that power play time is still decent. He's on 35-point pace. Maybe he can get 40. I think there's upside for more in the future, and that's what a lot of people were hoping for this year. But this year may not be the year that he does get to realize that upside with, as I said, or without getting that power play time. All right, let's keep rolling on here. We're at 9.30. We're going to keep going as quick as we can. Staying in Canada, let's go to Vancouver. Bo Horvat, another guy who is on fire right now. He's doing it again. He did this last year as well. His goal yesterday versus Calgary brought him to eight points in his last seven games. So he is on a hot streak, scoring almost every game or getting a point in almost every game playing with Burroughs and Berchi recently which is wild that he's able to put up all of these points with you know not great linemates who would think though Berchi actually put up a four game point streak recently but was pointless actually in his last two games versus Calgary anyways Bo Horvat he's like Kuznetsov somehow putting up points even though he's not playing with top players or on power play one but I feel like he's got to be added over most of the other guys we've talked about this week right like Horvat versus Mikko Koivu do you go Horvat or Koivu I'll go Koivu, even though Horvat has been so good lately. Uh, there's two things working against him. First, he's on the Vancouver Canucks. That is a minus for anyone's potential fantasy production. And second, we still haven't seen him do a whole lot before. It is good to know, though, that he is the Canucks' leading scorer. He's leading Vancouver in goals, and he is one assist behind Henrik for the team lead there. He is, however, sixth on the team in shots on goal. He did catch our attention last year with some big runs in shots accompanied by some points, but this year he seems pretty settled at just a couple shots per game. He's had more than two shots on goal only eight times this year and more than three shots on goal only twice. So that is something that makes me feel like he can't continue. He is shooting at 18% on the year, 13 goals on 74 shots, and that includes some very long stretches where he didn't score. So things seem to be coming in bunches for him, which I think is reasonable given his experience level and the team he plays for. We might be looking at the emergence of a potential 55-point guy, but counting on that this year would be premature. I'll expect a 45-50 point pace the rest of the way. All right, so Bo Horvat, you're saying he's not in the Koivu League. What if we go down a level to like those Calgary guys, like Matthew Kachuk or Mikhail Backlund, who I guess you said Backlund was the top guy there, like Horvat versus Backlund? I just want to get a sense of where people should be looking. Yeah, I'll also take Backlund. And I understand like I was knocking Horvat's shot rates where Koivu is definitely no better and Backlund, if he is better, it's not by much. I just like their situations a little better. Yeah, that's the thing with Horvat. That's the reason why I keep on not adding him and then being so mad at myself for not having done it. Pretty much in all of my leagues, he's been added and he's still doing well. Like he keeps doing well week after week. Hard not to add him. So obviously, if you have all these options available, like lucky you, and you could cycle based on schedule pretty much. But in a deeper league, if Horvat's available, I feel like you have to take a look ASAP. By the way, on Vancouver, Erickson back with the Sedins yesterday. 
maybe worth a short-term ad while that's happening. Obviously, he's had a brutal season and nothing like people hoped for. Didn't do anything with the Sedins yesterday. He had one goal two games ago, nothing yesterday. Anyways, just wanted to mention it. Let's go to Washington now very quickly. Dmitry Orlov went on a run of one goal and 10 assists in 14 games for Washington recently, though nothing in his last two games. But I know I saw him added in a bunch of my leagues, so I thought I had to ask Brian, is his production sustainable or fleeting? Is there anything to Dmitry Orlov? We're going to go fleeting. Nothing else really happened for him at that time to make me think there was any real change. It just worked out well for him. Uh, He was getting more time on ice, but that was after it had dipped in the games before that. So good for him for scoring those points, but on the whole, meh. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. Meh. (laughs) Meh. Okay. (laughs) Meh. Let us know in the chat room which men I should use in the edit. Meh. They were all, they all sound the same. Okay. And by the way, if you're a John Carlson owner, like, don't worry, these Orlov points haven't come at his expense. Carlson producing just fine on his own, 12 points in his last 14 games. So great for John Carlson. If you can't be keeping Eric Carlson, hopefully John Carlson is a nice consolation for you. To San Jose now, Kevin LeBanc on a great run, playing with Couture and Donskoy on the Sharks. Three goals and three assists in his last seven games. Is Kevin LeBanc in the conversation with those Toronto guys? Like, do you take, I guess you said Koivu first, you had Horvat behind the Calgary guys. Where does Kevin LeBanc fit above Hyman and Brown? I'm going to say around the same spot. He and Timo Meyer are up there as decent cycle options with those guys. Uh, and they're just some straight up owns in some deeper leagues. Long Beach native Matt Nieto being waived to Colorado means that there's a little more room for these guys to maneuver their way through the lineup. In fact, one of our patrons, Toot, suggested when Nieto was waived that the move could have been made because Meyer forced the Sharks' hand to keep Timo Meyer with the way he'd been playing. And it looks like they are buying into that. We'll have to watch what happens once Tomas Hurdle comes back. But in the meantime, Kevin LeBanc and Timo Meyer, both young pups worth watching. A pup is uh, what you call a baby shark. Oh, huh, fun. Fun fact. Yeah, I didn't mention Meyer yet, but he's actually also in the top six, playing on the top line with the Joes. Meyer, zero points in eight straight games after scoring a goal in his first game, but he assisted on Pavelski's goal yesterday. Actually, Pavelski scored two goals yesterday, and I read on Roto World that that was his first multi-goal game of the season. So Joel Pavelski, he's amazing. Having a player who plays with him is amazing, and Meyer, even though he hasn't been getting many points, plenty of hits and shots on goals. If you're looking for those, he's also a guy you might want to look at. And like I said, LeBanc getting actual points. One more hot streak, Brian. Anthony Mantha, we've been mentioning him like almost every week. Still on fire. Seven goals and five assists in his last nine games played. 12 points in nine games for Anthony Mantha on a team, Detroit, that doesn't even score that many goals. Insane. Five shots on goal yesterday and a goal versus San Jose. Throw him on the list, Brian. Mantha versus Koivu, I guess we have at the top of the list. Are we putting Mantha above Koivu? Wait, did we rank those Leafs with Koivu as well, though? You had Leafs way down, like, with the Calgary guys. Oh, did I? I feel like I'm, wait, way down with the Calgary guys? I don't, did I put <laughs> Koivu way, no, you're confusing what I said about Bo Horvat, I think. I like the Calgary guys a lot. I like the Toronto guys a lot. I like Anthony Mantha a lot. His line has been seeing some good puck luck, though. Uh, what's interesting, despite that puck luck, and we'd expect it to run out, is that Mantha has kept rolling despite his line mates, Henrik Zetterberg and Tatar, going quiet over the last few games, Nothing for Zetterberg, just one point for Tatar over the last three games while Mantha keeps going. Somebody else who's rolling in Detroit, and it's hard to think of somebody who is this season, but Andreas Athanasiu over his last couple games has five points, two goals, three assists, eight shots. He's playing with Thomas Vanek and Franz Nielsen. He and Mantha seem to have followed similar paths to being full-time 
NHLers with Detroit. They were both made perhaps to wait longer than they should have. And Athanasiu, even earlier this year, he was still getting scratched occasionally, has been in the press box 15 times this year, and as recently as within the last two weeks. But if he becomes a regular in the lineup, if he can keep this production going and earn his spot, he could be worth a look the same way Mantha was. Okay, that's a guy to watch. Vanek also has been doing well, right? I guess if he's playing Athanasiu, I've been seeing his name in the score sheet recently. Anyways, maybe I've been dumb like with these comparisons. Like Koivu's probably not even available in most people's leagues. Maybe Mantha isn't as well after this amazing run he's been on. I don't know, one of the patrons, please like write a post in the Facebook group with like this whole list of players I've been trying to get Brian to rank and keep track of because I'm losing track of myself. But clearly the takeaway here is there's a lot of exciting free agents in your league. Hopefully we're letting you know about some of them. Before we end the show, let's mention a couple of cold streaks. Everyone has been so close to dropping Alex Steen. Lately, we talked about on, I think it was the Patreon cast, how stinky he has been. But I hope he held on because he's back on the top power play with Tarasenko. And that means you're going to do well. And Steen has one goal and five assists in his last five games. Two power play assists yesterday. Still not taking any shots, but he's actually been putting up a decent number of blocks. Lately, I don't know if that's just luck and not going to last. Though, Brian, I know you showed me this article about how Steen is trying to play more defensively. So maybe blocks is a part of that. Anyways, Steen on the top power play. I would want him. And he's putting up numbers lately. The guy who maybe I don't want now on St. Louis, the guy who's taking over for Steen is the guy getting all of my ire is Jaden Schwartz playing at even strength on the third line with Berglund and Perron in the last game, not on the top power play, pointless in six, only two points in his last nine. Are we at snoozer territory for Jaden Schwartz? I know that you're probably just going to say St. Louis switches their lines all the time and you just want the guy playing with Tarasenko. But at this point, if you've got these free agents available to you, like Mantha and all the others who I'm going to struggle naming so I won't even try, is Jaden Schwartz worth a swap right now? I think you could stream him out depending on how deep your league is. He is entering snoozer territory. First off, Alex Steen certainly was in snoozer territory. You mentioned he picked up his offense, but still has just two shots in his last five games. And obviously that's ending up with him getting assists instead of the goals that you might've hoped for. If you drafted him, it's still kind of yucky. I'm still not feeling great about Steen, but at least there's something that he's doing while I'm still trying to make up my mind about him. Jaden Schwartz, like you said, Elon, he's on the third line, and this is what happens when you play on the third line in St. Louis. The bright side is nobody stays there forever unless you're Patrick Berglund. But the way Jaden Schwartz is playing, uh, he's been making himself look like a third liner. He's registered more than a single shot on goal only one time in his last 10 games. He has only three shots total in his last six games. But funny enough, his even strength shot rates, like on a per 60 basis, they're actually still up on the air although they're down on the power play, but still up on the air at even strength. He's still a skilled player, but yeah, he's down in the depths of the Blues depth chart, and this is what happens when you end up there. Neil Yakupov, by the way, played with Steen and Stasny after missing some time. That's a weird line. Like, that's the line full of fantasy disappointment. He and mm-hmm. Stasny combined for six shots. So I don't know if, like, Stasny had four that game. So maybe if Steen and Stasny play together, Stasny starts shooting instead of Steen. I don't know. I don't know anything about. St. Louis. One thing I do know is that Vladimir Tarasenko does not give a dang about who he's playing with. He's had a revolving door of line mates all season. I wonder if he's even noticed. 43 points, 20 goals, 142 shots on a 40 goal pace. Ho-hum for Vladimir Tarasenko. Let's end this episode, Brian. We're on cold streaks. Let's end with the coldest place on earth, at least for hockey, and that's in Colorado. 
we can start with the good news. Tyson Barry has actually eight points in the last seven games. You were giving a list of defensemen earlier that are finally waking up, like along with Klingberg and Carlson and whoever. But yeah, Tyson Barry, that's great. Hopefully you held on to him. You know, a top power play defenseman, even on Colorado, is going to do something for you. Landeskog has been like, okay, a little bit lately. Not even really. McKinnon kind of chipping in as well. But the guy who's been the absolute worst, in my opinion, is Matt Duchesne. Only two points in his last nine games. Both were in a game against Dallas five games ago. So you take away that game in the middle of that stretch and you got no points in eight games. But I guess maybe the only bright side, or tell me if there's more, but I feel like the one bright side for Matt Duchesne is news came out that Duchesne and Landeskog are apparently both on the trading block. So maybe at the trade deadline, they'll both be free of playing on this horrible, horrible team. They're both good players, right? So I'd imagine this could only mean good things for Matt Duchesne and Landeskog moving forward if they could get lucky enough to be traded to someone better. Maybe is it time to buy low in anticipation? I don't like that question. I don't like any time I'm oh. asked if I should buy low or sell high based on anticipation around deadline deals. It it comes a lot, especially around this time of year. It really picks up. It already is. And we're going to get a lot of questions like that over the next couple months. But it's so hard to say just based on rumors and things that may or may not get done. And like Colorado specifically, Matt Duchesne has been on the trade block for like three years now. So what does it even mean to be on the trade block in Colorado? Have we even seen Joe Sackick pull off a significant trade or anything near it? Uh, Anyway, going back to their current value without anticipating about trades, uh, there's still definitely reasonable guys to buy a low on. My concern about Landeskog is maybe he's not as high end as we once thought. He should still be solid for like 55 with upside for 60 or maybe 65. I think at this point, we need to see what he does on a functional team. Uh, Duchesne, I think I still believe in him as a 60-point player, hopefully more in the right situation. Unfortunately, Colorado is the wrong situation for everybody. Yeah. It's just very frustrating if you own Matt Duchesne because he's one of those guys, I guess like Kopitar you mentioned earlier, and I said how one of our patrons was offered Duchesne for Kopitar. It's like, you can't drop these guys. There's so much upside. Like Duchesne was once a point-per-game player, uh, but now nothing's happening. I would love for him to get traded. But like you say, I guess you can't depend on anything. Like I'm sure Eric Stahl owners last year remember being excited for him to get traded out of Carolina to the Rangers and Stahl proceeded to be like even worse on New York. So you never know what's going to happen. But for now, definitely two disappointing guys. I think that's going to do it, Brian. We've talked about pretty much every player in the league. I feel like we've mentioned almost every team. I'll throw in one more. I know it's late. Thanks for hanging with me. If you're still listening also, wow. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. Ryan Strom, he's like one of those guys that I bring up every now and then you just go bleh, like forget it. And you're very right to do that. But we're seeing signs of life from him lately. He has two goals and four assists for six points. In his last six games, 19 shots in that stretch, two power play points in that stretch. Also had a six-shot effort against two else but the Colorado Avalanche. He was most recently playing on the first power play unit, and he is playing with Brock Nelson and Shane Prince at even strength, who are not marquee names, but that's enough to make me think that that line could score a goal. Unlike Andrew Ladd, who is on the second power play unit, he actually would have been mentioned if we had a show last week He had like, I don't know, two points in two games or something that was very impressive for Andrew Ladd. Uh, But now he's, again, on the second unit. He's playing with Alan Quine and Jason Shimera at even strength. I don't know why the Isles even signed this guy. Brutal. And lastly, Elon, before I pass it back to you to close out the show, Matthew Pekka, no relation to Mike Pekka. 
Oh, okay. Good to know. Since you bring up Ryan Strom, okay, if you like him now, maybe if you picked up Anders Lee before, because remember, he was on that amazing hot streak. Now I guess he's gone cold. There's been two straight games without a point and only one shot over those two games. Would you swap out Lee for Ryan Strom if like none of these other great guys that we've mentioned are available? Lee's still on the top line on the Islanders, playing with Tavares and Josh Bailey. Tavares, we talked about, I think it was on the Patreon cast also, just such a disappointment this season. I'm so frustrated, Brian, that we traded Bufflin for him in our joint league. But Anyways, Anders Lee, I'm asking about right now because we were so high on him. I feel like with guys like that who like no one owns and then they go on a hot streak and then everyone adds them, you should be pretty quick to call them a snoozer, right? Once they slow down. Yeah, but he's still in the situation in which he was succeeding. Now he was succeeding more than he should have. I'm talking about Anders Lee. Like what he was doing was above what we should have reasonably expected from him. Uh, that said... Ryan Strom is still on a short stretch too, and we've all been teased enough by him in the past. So I don't know if I'd make that swap just yet. Like if you're in a league where you know Lee isn't going to get snatched up, then you might as well make the switch. But otherwise, Lee is still playing with Tavares. I'd probably hang on uh, just to see a little longer. Like I said, Andrew Ladd was looking good a week ago at this time. Yeah, I kind of asked that just to see what you would say, but I would hold on to Anders Lee, and I don't care about Ryan Strom. Like, so what? He has a bit of a run going. He's playing with Shane Prince and what Brock Nelson. Like, it's nice that he's on the top power play, but come on, you know that nothing's going to happen there. Did I not open my mention of Ryan Strom by saying that he is a guy that you normally just go bleh to and dismiss? So there it is. There's the official there Elon reaction. There's the confirmation that I agree with you there. What a fun show. Thanks to everyone who stuck with us. Like I said, I think we've talked about every team. We didn't talk about the Islanders. Oh, we did because we talked about Halak. I bet you, you you name a team. I'm pretty sure we mentioned the player from that team. Maybe we didn't mention Ottawa this week. Eric Carlson doing so well, right? Okay. Anyway, let's close it out. Thanks to everyone who joined us live. This was a lot of fun. You could do this every week, by the way. You could join us on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Just come to keepingcarlson.com slash live. Have a lot of fun in the chat room. There's a whole conversation here about players' profile pictures. I'm going to have to go back and read this because it looks like people were having a lot of fun but i was too busy chatting with brian yawn i think i mentioned earlier in the show you can follow us on twitter if you'd like at keeping carlson we're trying our best to make interesting tweets also we respond to your fans questions on twitter so check us out there if you really want to help support the show you can become a patron of keeping carlson for only five dollars a month you not only get to support the show that's working so hard for you but you also get some nice perks like joining our patron only facebook group and access to our monthly patron cast of which you got a taste of because we released our december patron cast on our regular feed so i hope you enjoyed that and if you want more of that Come become a patron. Check it out. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I guess normally I like to ask for a five-star review on iTunes, so please do that if you wouldn't mind. With that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, go ahead, read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Korska Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, HockeyViz.com, and Fantracks. Great job, as always, Brian. I'm looking forward to doing this all again next week. Bye, everybody. And keep on keeping Carl's son. <laughs>